contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled you to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Oh, here we go again. Hey everybody, here we are yet again. Yes, yet again. I know it's getting old. It probably is. You're probably getting tired of us. And you know what? Take a break. Take it. Take it a week, and then come back and listen four or five times just to recharge oh, yeah. yourself. Uh, yeah, that's Sam. We are here with Sam. It's your two dads, and there really are two of us tonight. That's why I keep the show named the same way because there's not always three of us. Sometimes just two and a guest. And tonight we're talking to an awesome dad from down south. His name is Ross Jurgs Jurger. And he is from the Up the Middle podcast. He talks about politics and life. He's a also a retired Secret Service agent. We will get into that. Do not worry. And you used to be able to and, and will again be able to see him on YouTube uh, with his show, The Doggy Traders, where he talks about what he's going to explain later on because I didn't look too deeply into that. So with that being said, thanks so much for joining us, Ross. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Guys, thanks for having me. So, uh, well, originally from Pennsylvania, uh, graduated from Penn State University in 1995. Before that, I had already been to the Olympic Training Center twice to uh, train for ice hockey, where I was scouted by the NHL to become a referee. That didn't pan out, so I went to umpire school, spent two years in the minor leagues as a professional baseball umpire. The major league dream didn't pan out, so I got into law enforcement and after uh, one year as a police officer, uh, I made it to the major leagues of law enforcement and spent the next 21 years with the U.S. Secret Service, traveling the country and even the world, uh, protecting our leaders and our financial infrastructure, not just uh, the counterfeiting and preventing the counterfeiting of currency, but also electronic crimes that uh, have anything to do with money, access codes, you know, your PIN your passwords. We investigated network intrusions and uh, network takeovers and uh, financial crimes like counterfeiting of credit cards and your bank, uh, banks, uh, not banks, your bank accounts, uh, preventing hostile takeovers of that as well. Wow. Okay. So uh, way more than I thought that your average <laughs> secret service agent would do. Uh, but that obviously, you know, that just, uh, speaks to the interest that I have to it and maybe that our, our listenership will have as well. And I guess uh, I'm just going to jump into the questions that I have pretty much in the order that I have them because it will be a lot easier than me uh, jumping around. Since you started off with your, uh, the Secret Service, I just wanted to ask, and you kind of sort of given me uh, more information than I did have when you spoke about being a police officer first. But why the Secret Service? Was it? Uh, did you watch In the Line sure. of Fire with Clint Eastwood at a young age? We'll talk about that too. Uh, but in the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I was working in a school store where they sell like pencils for twenty five cents and things like that. And this state trooper walks in and needs directions to the office because he needs to drop pamphlets. And so I walk him to the office, and he's leaving pamphlets for the students to attend. Uh, a summer camp for a week called Camp Cadet, again, run by the Pennsylvania State Police. And it was basically like a week-long police academy for kids 
one of the presentations at this was two special agents from the Secret Service. They passed around counterfeit currency, and some of it was really good. Some of it you wouldn't want to use to play Monopoly. It was just bad. And then they showed us counterfeit credit cards that obviously looked real. And then they brought in two of the other instructors, you know, two state troopers, who one of whom uh, was at the podium at a you know makeshift podium that was like the president delivering a speech. The other was in the crowd of students with us with a water pistol. And when that trooper drew the water pistol, the two agents who were posted at stage left and stage right reacted like they would if it was the real president. And I said, that's what I want to do. So fast forward to Clint Eastwood's movie and Dylan McDermott. There is the opening scene on the boat uh, where Dylan almost gets his head blown off. And Clint Eastwood knew that there was no rounds because of the weight of the gun. They're having a cocktail at a piano bar and Clint Eastwood's sitting there playing. And Dylan McDermott is shaking. His character's shaking. He says, you know, I joined the Secret Service because I wanted to protect people. And Clint Eastwood says, the idea of throwing yourself in front of a gun, hoping like hell the bullet hits you, instead of the person you're protecting. You find that appealing? Every time I've heard that line, I crack a smile like you just did and say yes. It's almost this like... Is the um, I, I, I equate it to you, like, protecting your child. Like, you see that your your uh, designated... Uh, a point a year, whatever term is used, whatever technical term you guys use, uh, you see that person as, you know, your family, like, you know, you, right, absolutely. it's, it's, is it something that took you some time getting used to, like, you know, that kind of, uh, mental framework to, to look at them that way, or, or, you know, did they have to train you for that? Well, there's extensive training because as far as, as extensive as the background investigation is, and for as much as they know about us when we come and join them, there's still extensive training and some for, for any human being to react by putting themselves in harm's way like that is not necessarily normal. And as a result to, to reprogram that reaction take some intense training. And so it's, we were in school for about six months. The first school is in Georgia where it's basically like going to college for law enforcement. It's much more general, basic use of a gun, basic driving of a car and self-defense and basic law. The second school was like grad school. That's where we learn and do specifics. The MP5, fully automatic submachine gun, the shotgun, the actual handgun that we're going to use, and in fact, the actual one that we're issued uh, for our career. Uh, that's where we drive armored vehicles for the first time. And that's where we learn more specific things like counterfeiting laws, protection laws, the fact that you can't even threaten the president, uh, let alone actually do something to harm him or her. So that's like grad school. It's more focused. And all of it is very intense. So 
it's it's tiring. It's long days. It's usually six days a week for a good six months. We started in October, and I graduated on Saturday, March 30th, 2001, the 20th anniversary of the Reagan attempt. Mm. That's how I started my career. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, well, that was... Um... That was interesting. There was, man, I feel like I would, I already feel like one episode isn't going to be enough. Like you've already That's said so much stuff that it's like, but we need to have this guy on again. Um, so so I, well, I, actually, you know what, to get back to your question then to fully, you know, back in January of 2016, I was living in DC and I was supposed it was a Sunday evening. I was supposed to leave the next day to be back on Hillary and Bill Clinton were my protection time from 2007 to 2010. That's all I did. And so the first time she ran for president, you know, that's who I was with. In 2016, I was going to be a temp back on her detail. So she was even excited to be, be seeing me again. That night, the dog that I had that recently passed away, he and I were attacked by a pit bull. And while this dog had a hold of my dog by the head, I stuck my hand in that dog's mouth to save my dog. So many other parents would never have done that, I don't think. Some, plenty would. But unfortunately, he didn't find my hand tasty, so he spit it out and went back on my dog. But uh, yeah, uh, it's for some of us, it is natural. You know, like I said, you know, the, the scene with the, at the piano bar, you know, it was a way of life for me and not just a career or not just a job, but more of a career. So, yeah, it, it, the training helps, but it also helps that this is something you really want to be in. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the more you desire to do something, the easier it will be to adapt to, you know, the, this rather strenuous uh, mental uh, structure, I think, that you would have to be in. Uh, one more thing before we uh, shift things over to Sam. Sam always comes with so much better questions than me, but uh, I, I am that. more of the <laughs> I'm more of the not so pretty face, but host, uh, and, and I just kind of move things along. But that being said, uh, I don't want you to get any more specific than you have to. But one of the things that uh, immediately jumped to my mind when you said that you had been in the Secret Service was the idea that every politician is just fake as hell and that they're all secretly assholes and bitches and just, you know, terrible, terrible people. So without, you know, getting any more specific than you want, how correct am I in that? Are these people as, uh, as indicated, you know, do they give any kind of true uh, sense of self when they're on TV or are all these all just, you know, fake liars? I think the bigger impersonation is the media. Um, Fox News just paid $787 million in fees and, and penalties to Dominion Voting Systems for lying on the air, knowingly. That is not new. I've told plenty of stories where we would be at an Obama campaign event, a Romney campaign event, or whoever, and I would get home and I would see them on the news for the event that, you know, they were covering that day. 
And I'm looking at it going like, what? And I I'd call a buddy, you know, I'd call Sam because he was post-ending with me. And I'd say, was that Corey Lewis guy, the cover one covering it for Fox today? And Sam would be like, yeah, that was, that's who it was. He'd be like, did you see that too? And I'm like, what event was he at? Because it's so not like what it really was going on. You know, if they'd like you, they'll say what a great crowd you had when you barely filled the gymnasium. If they don't like you, they'll say, well, this crowd wasn't as big. And meanwhile, you're filling the Verizon Center in downtown D.C. Okay, and that's Those are actual examples. As far as people, I know far-right Republicans who are just as gay as I am. And one thing that I think Hillary Clinton, the, the one who I did most of my protection time with, did poorly was reputation management. She's a sweetheart. She's very down to earth. She and Bill are very much in love. I followed them through rural Chappaqua, New York, on a Saturday afternoon, driving the Suburbans. They're just walking down the street holding hands. That's not a photo op. There's no media following them. They're just spending their Saturday afternoon. And that's not what the rest of the world gets to see. And I, without being specific, I've seen some of the most unfortunate and worst of some of the other people that I've been assigned to that don't tell you that's who they are. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fake that goes in both ways. You know, Hillary, the first question I get is, was Hillary a bitch? Have I heard her chew some ass? Yes. But they were asses that needed to be chewed. If Bill does it, he's, that's leadership. She does it, that she's a bitch. And that's a picture definition of a double standard. Funny how that perception, you know, persists across culture like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is interesting and very, very much believable. I am. Uh, it's not that I distrust the media. It's just that the media, like you said, paints whatever picture it wants based on its, you know, whoever's interest it's trying to serve. Mm -hmm. um, but with that uh, all being uh, said and me taking up all that time, Sam, what do you got for us? Come with something strong as you uh, usually do. So um, the, the Olympics interested me you know, during my sports uh, career, which was, wasn't anything professional at all, but uh, uh, the, the Olympics, especially track and field, that was a, that was a major focus of my training and a lot of my, uh, a lot of my time spent in sports. And I loved it. I loved watching the Olympics, uh, you know, like I said, specifically for track and field events. It was just something I was fascinated with at a young age. How hard was it for you to get your foot in the door with the Olympic Committee or to even find um, a way to um, get out there, show your support, work in the, work in the environment? And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So even though I trained there and as a result was technically an Olympic athlete, I was not selected by the U.S. Olympic Committee. Yeah, I was at the training center in Lake Placid for hockey, mm -hmm. but it was as a referee. And we were guests of the Olympic Committee with USA Hockey, which is the national governing body for amateur hockey in the United States. 
And so I was really there with, with USA Hockey to, twice, once to work as a referee and, and train as a referee, and then a second time to get supervisor training so I could go back to the Philadelphia area and train other referees how to officiate you know, before the season. Uh, during which time, the entire time, we were scouted by the National Hockey League. I went to other schools as well um, that were run by NHL officials. And uh, that's how I would spend my summers when I wasn't umpiring baseball. But as far as the selection process, it's still evaluation-oriented. It's still political. You know, having a buddy higher than you never hurts. <laughs> and uh yeah and for that it was it because it was all paid by usa hockey it wasn't so much that my money talked but i had to put their money where my mouth was because if i went to this camp that was a, an exclusive number of officials and i sucked i'm done because that was a, a huge waste of a nonprofit's nonprofit organizations money and they, they can't see a return on their investment exactly yeah exactly but lake placid was awesome because i grew up watching hockey since the 70s coming from the the philadelphia area when the flyers first won the stanley cup uh twice and then watched the olympics in 1980 with my dad and watched the U team usa and the miracle on ice and then to be skate on that sheet of ice was you know any hockey fans you know dream come true that's memorable that's that's awesome not a lot very few people can say that they've been able to do that especially after that you know like i said that that upset you know nobody thought that you know the ussr was going to get beat by you know the americans you know in that and i do have my i do have my dates and my match times correct is that right like I said, it was the USA versus was They beat the Russians in like the semifinal. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks like the final game, and actually not true. It was uh, in like the semifinal, and then they were kind of sort of a shoe-in to beat, I think, like Finland or somebody from the other bracket that they were going to see in the final, which they eventually did. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, I remember reading some of the interviews from some of the, the Soviet players when they lost, it was kind of a relief for them because they're so accustomed to winning and being expected to win that they just kind of ripped the Band-Aid off and they they sat back and leaned up against the boards and just watched the Americans celebrate because they wanted to remember what it was like when a win for them really meant that much. You know, yeah. after so many times it's like okay we won let's go home and it didn't mean anything anymore so they were actually happy to see the americans get joy out of it when they beat the so and a lot of them came to the game against like i said i think it might have been finland it was the final game a lot of them you know wanted, and they kind of sort of quietly cheered the americans on Cool. I did not ever have any idea of that side of things when you were like, I read some of the interviews, I thought you were going to be like, and they were like, you know, dirty capitalist pigs cheated or something like <laughs> something along those lines. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, so supportive. Um, this is this is a dad podcast and we want to get to the dad part of things uh, before we let too much time pass. 
before we get there, though, I did something occurred to me while you were talking about all this. You've been virtually everything you've talked about has been a very stressful environment, a stressful job. What kind of stress techniques do you have? Do you, do you just have the personality that deals well with that? I mean, is that why you kind of fit into the Secret Service? Or do you have to meditate? Do you do, you do anything to deal with these sorts of things? Because oh, I can't that, even go to the grocery yeah. store sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why, that's why I decided I, I needed therapy because I was essentially, I hate saying it like that, but I was such a mess that I needed to, to fix things or it was going to rub off on my son. Uh, and other people around me in my early forties, I started taking yoga. Uh, and that actually really helped not just me and, and relaxing and being a better person, but it also helped in the weight room at the gym by doing, because at the gym, I wouldn't stretch the way I should be. I go in, train and leave. By forcing myself to take yoga two nights a week and that being my workout, I was stretching and I was using heat therapy and it really helped me literally grow and in both ways possible out and up at 42, 43 years old, I gained an inch and a half in height. My entire adult life, I had been five eleven and three quarters. That's subtraction. FDC, I would six one. It's not like your bones grew or you had some sort of growth spurt. It was the compression in your back is relaxed, and the as a result, the the spinal column is extended to its full capacity and to what it could be. Like now, I'm probably back down to five eleven, five ten, uh, because I'm not training you know uh, this past may uh the family suffered a loss of one of our two dogs and that's been hard um that coupled with 21 years in federal law enforcement and dealing with things like you know intelligence briefings and travel and long schedules when i finally did get therapy i was diagnosed with ptsd and i was kind of offended because, you know, I have friends and family and coworkers that were in the military with what I called real PTSD. And the therapist and the doctors I talked to said, no, that's, that's not how it works. Allergies, a cold, anything you get can be in different degrees and to, to a different level. And it's not necessarily one particular incident that causes it but a lifestyle of things that people are just not meant to do change shift work is one of the most unhealthy uh professional um lifestyles you can have working you know all night for two weeks and then all day for the next two weeks and it's hard on you uh the travel there's the stress of what used to be what, what, what attracted me to the Secret Service earlier in my career, the fact that we didn't just investigate one type of crime for our entire career, like the FBI. You go to the FBI, you could be in bank robbery for 25 years. One minute you're in counterfeiting, then you're in bank fraud, and then you're in other types of crime. And then your boss walks by your desk, taps you on your shoulder and says, go and pack your bag. 
you're going to be with the president for the next two weeks. For some, for those of us with some level of attention deficit disorder, the Secret Service is perfect because we're constantly doing different things. It gives you variety. Oh yeah, it's also very hard on you, physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. But I, what I liken it to when when we talk about crime and how some people get deeper and deeper into crime. We use what's called the boiling frog syndrome. When you cook a frog, it's live. And you put it in warm water and gradually raise the temperature. And because the amphibians are cold-blooded, or like a mix of warm and cold-blooded, they are what their surroundings are. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't know that it's cooking until it's too late. And then it's dead. With crime... Some people that are become criminals do this little bit of stealing and then they do bigger stealing and, and before long they screw up and they're caught and they're committed felonies. For us, it's like, okay, the president's coming to town and I'm the site agent for one of the sites. I got a lot of work to do. My kids got soccer practice. And we see more experienced agents dealing with that and say, Oh, yeah, that's what I want to do, you know, as a young agent. You do that, and then you take on bigger protection responsibilities, the lead advance, and some of the other you know more difficult types of, of responsibilities. And then you got casework to do, and you have issues with your family because you've been traveling for so much. And now it's just things that are part of the job should not be part of the job. And after 21 years, that gets hard. So when I was told I had PTSD, I was offended. You know, for the people who, you know, like you mentioned, the grocery store. And it wasn't until I said, you know, I don't think that's it until I realized there were plenty of times I would be at the grocery store. And I just start breaking down crying for no reason. And that's, you know, what the doctor said was that it doesn't have to be the level that we also used to call shell shock we're responding to it forever all day but it can still affect you and when it does it's quite negative totality of circumstances that you experience can have an effect on you whether it's positive or negative and that you know has led us to have a different understanding of the clinical definition of ptsd and that it's all not necessarily physically trauma related or it can be environmentally, it can be mentally mentally derived. It can be oh, yeah. from many, many different sources. And like I said, the totality of that becomes so much of a burden to that individual that, you know, they become, they, they become ill or they succumb to the stressors. Now, you know, there's a difference between stress and eustress. You know, one's a little bit more healthy and one's a little more destructive. And these things, you know, alter your body. They alter your mind. They alter your perception. Your, your even mindset can change from that. And, you know, sometimes when you're in that, um, when you're in that situation, it's hard to figure out which way is up and which way is down. And even how you even go about asking for help because you don't understand what is happening to you, but it's not normal. There's something going on. And is this something that's going to take a formal treatment? Is it even recognized? Do you even think that you're, uh, that there's help out there for you or that somebody's going to take your story seriously? And a lot of those things bounce back and forth between your mind while you're trying to deal with this i would imagine oh absolutely um the first thing that started coming to my mind was that 
I have eight people in my life who have committed suicide. Two are direct or distant family members. The remaining six are from the law enforcement community. Five of the six are from the Secret Service. And I think the the big everybody was dealing with some sort of depression. Exception of one. Uh, my uncle was about 72 when he took his life. He had been fighting cancer for more than a third of his life. And what we suspect was that he had a one-on-one -on -one with his doctors who, you know, can't lie to him. That's, that's not their job. And they basically said, you know, it's, you're going to lose this battle. And because of the condition that he was in, he said, it's, it's time to end it then. And ex that's exactly what he did. He had a great life besides that. And when he was first diagnosed with it, actually at about my age in his early fifties, he just told my dad, you know, one day at my, at my cousin's wedding, actually, I'm not ready to die yet. Yeah, by the end of it, he was ready. <clears throat> the other family member is my aunt's, my married into the family aunt's brother. And everybody else I know, including the, you know, the six that are in law enforcement, had some level of trauma or actually diagnosed clinical depression where, sadly, that was an option. And when I say that's an option, I'm not saying, hey, you know, it's probably a good idea that you, you know, off yourself. What I mean is that everybody knows it's on the table, that this is a very potential risk. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be managed. And those who are, you know, sadly, the, the seven who didn't, did not succeed in doing so. Um, for me, I got to see, in some cases, very firsthand, what that left everybody else. And I don't want to do that. You know, I've had, I've had banks. I was able to prove this in court. So it's not just my opinion. It's, it's public record. I've had banks illegally try to foreclose on my house. And we were able to prove because it was one of the nicest houses on the block. So they wanted to possess it and uh, resell it. I was at risk of losing my house because of what that did to my credit. I was at risk of losing my security clearance, which then put me at risk of losing my job. Be it at all. Proving, and this is what I try to tell so many other people that are having a bad day, whether you see it on Facebook or wherever, it gets better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's not going to suck, but it gets better. Keep moving forward. I have uh, a I have two two monitors, one right here in front of me and one to my side. Uh, the one at the side has all the files on it. Um, I, and one of the files is a, a folder of just a bunch of celebrity photos with their famous quote. Two that immediately come to mind with that situation. One is Rocky, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone, where he says, it's not about how hard you can get hit. I knew that's the one you were going to say. It's about how yeah. hard you can hit, get hit, and keep moving forward.
And the other one is John Cena from the WWE. Mm-hmm. He talks about how, yeah, that guy. Uh, he talks about how you judge a person not by when he wins, but by when his back is against the wall. And I already know what that's going to be like. And because it's been. Uh, I was investigated by the government, by our internal affairs of, of sorts, three times in my career. And I can prove that all three of them were not because I did anything wrong, but because they were on a witch hunt because of the fact that I'm gay. And when I was able to put that back in their face and prove that, you know, their other things were just, you know, bullshit. Sorry for that, but you know, it was, it's all it was. The investigation stopped pretty quickly. Yeah. Obviously after the first and second one, didn't stop them altogether, but you know, eventually I said, you know what? They're going to pay me $55,000 after taxes to not come to work. Think it's time to retire and drive jet skis all day. Right. Why we Sometimes opportunities up. present themselves in weird ways. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, man, uh, that was, that was so interesting. Like, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. I will cut these into reels and post them to TikTok and uh, YouTube and, and Facebook and I'm going to have a field day with, with everything that you're saying. Uh, that being said, I would kick this back to Sam, but I do want to kind of shift gears over into, as I said, the, the dad side of things. Man, I'm passing by so many different questions that were of interest to me. But uh, we're just going to go with it. And all I know about your dad experience is that you adopted your teenage son. So why don't you give us uh, the story there as far as, uh, you know, did you uh, know him for, you know, was he a, uh, your uncle's kid? Was he a friend's kid? You know, how, how did this whole thing come about? I'm from a family of three boys and a couple of dogs. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm going to be 52 this fall. My parents both turned 52 this, or excuse me, my parents both turned 72 this summer. So they were 20 years old when they had me, and I was the first of three. With dad especially, but mom too, not being much older, they were much more readily available to coach our Little League baseball and football teams. Uh, mom was the team mother for the baseball team and you know kept score and made sure like the orange peels and stuff like that was available. As opposed to some of my you know, friends from school whose dads were considerably older they weren't able to do things with my friends the way my dad was able to do things with me. Having, you know, I I paid attention to that day in health class, you know, not being as into women as I am guys, you know, I realized the fact that me having a blood child of mine was less likely, especially as I got older, the opportunity for the surrogacy and or that closeness in age range was starting to fade. So I thought there's plenty of kids that need a good home that I'll probably be arresting if I don't adopt them. So it was kind of, once I was planning retirement, it was kind of a way of staying in connection with the law enforcement community by pulling this one kid 
out of a potential life of crime. And I, I think, you know, for rural Florida, where sometimes there's not all that much to do, I think I did that. And it's so much so that I tell people Zach is adopted only because that's the only way they're going to know. He looks like me. He acts like me. He sounds like my brothers. And we're into some of the similar. We're very different, but also very similar. And as a result, you know, I, I would love for him to be blood of mine, but he's influence of mine. And sometimes it's just as good. Family just the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just I'm, dealing, I'm dealing with a situation right now where his case managers from the state of Florida advised us not to complete the adoption. So we would both get extra health, um, well, healthcare, but you know, financial aid. Then when they canceled me from that financial aid for reasons we won't get into, I referred to him in court as my son. They objected because we did not finish the adoption and legally he was not my son. I said, aren't we here to get this young adult, because now he's 18, placed into a family that loves him? Or are we here just to manage money that I didn't get? And I turned and I looked at the judge and I said, I don't need a court order to call this young man my son. And I won't abide by a court order that prohibits me from doing so. Mm -hmm. And he knew what I did for a living and he kind of had a lot of respect for that and how I had handled myself in court previously. He, he kind of nodded and said, technically they are right. You should not be referring to yourself accordingly. However, you are also right. That is why we're here. And that's it. We're, we're actually going to, for other legal reasons, if something were to happen to either one of us, I can't go see him in the hospital or vice versa. You know, if something happens to me, he doesn't necessarily get the house or life insurance because legally he's not my son. So once we actually complete with what's called an adult adoption, then that'll change and um, there won't be anything is politically charged case managers can do about it not 100 percent familiar with the system over there in florida but it's my understanding in my neck of the woods that you can bequeath or you can assign somebody to be your medical proxy that is not you know blood related to you and a financial uh you know proxy or a surrogate or um you can even get that uh award them like temporary rights and as far as like who gets to be your beneficiary um, from my experience, it doesn't have to be blood and you can assign anybody, whether it be your next door neighbor's dog or your third cousin, you know, second removed, you know, you can assign somebody that. So I, it's kind of sounds to me like they were trying to be very difficult with you in your situation. Absolutely. Um, if I had more money, we'd be fighting this for longer, mm -hmm. but with what I paid to the attorneys, we're using what's left to finish the adoption and everybody go our happy ways. He's about to enter college which is a totally separate, um, <clears throat> totally separate financial aid system. So what we were, I had virtually got been canceled from 
would be expiring now anyway. So, I mean, we kind of sort of won, uh, even though we didn't win, you know, the whole appeal of me being canceled from the financial aid. Mm -hmm. So long story short, um, he's family and they can't change that and, and they won't be able to change it. He's, he's family in here. You know, he's, he's family yeah, in here. With what, with what you had alluded to, yes, but Florida does not make that does does not make foster care and adoption as much of the state's pet project that they say they do uh there are restrictions especially if you're not who they really want to be a parent like a single gay dad versus you know a, a more conventional family mm -hmm. uh and and we've proven that i know other gay parents that have gone through worse scenarios than mine and I know much less qualified straight parents of two parents that are basically milking the system. I know one lady, she has 16 kids in her house. Now you tell me how she even knows their name, let alone can take the time to get to know them and love them. No, yeah, that's just for a chair. But there she is taking probably about fifteen dollars to $2,000 a piece. Every month. Wow. Every month. Times 16. Yeah. You, you get paid to be a foster parent. If you apply Correct. it right. And it, yeah. You get paid to be a foster parent. I put all that money that I was paid for the short period that I was into Zach and then some. Well, that's because you're and a good dad. <laughs> I, I like to think so. I think he um, thinks so. Uh, before I... Uh commandeer this again and take it off in, in my own direction. Sam, did you have anything dad related? Well, what are some activities that you and your son enjoy? You're right there by the water and you've also got a long history of sports. Did you incorporate any of that into the time that you've been able to spend and foster a connection with your, with your son, Zach? I was not impressed with the school system in Florida. And I was even less impressed with the school system in the County that we live in. So for his final year of school with um, his first year with me, his final year in high school, I homeschooled him and he's got a much better education in the portion of the day that we homeschooled than he was for an eight hour school day in the public school system. Uh, he was a baseball player, though he his interest in sports had you know long since faded by the time I got to him. Uh, his gym class was the jet skis, a water safety course for the jet skis. Oh, and then, so we worked out together uh, weekly, you know, multiple times a week uh, at our local gym. So that was his gym class was working out. So that's probably the biggest things that we have you know, in common. Mm -hmm. um, he that's his birthday and Christmas presents uh, from last year behind me. Is a custom computer uh, there, you know, on over my right shoulder, and monitors one behind my head, one behind my left shoulder. The desk, all that was the the gaming chair. All that was, you know, uh, he, his birthday is also in November, so birthday and soon thereafter Christmas, um, just for you know gaming and now you know his college homework, um, and then we've got two jet skis. You know, when I first ordered mine in the nine or eight, eight or nine months 
before Zach and I met, I knew that I was going to get two because I want somebody to ski with me. So the trailer that I ordered with it was, you know, what I call a double wide because you can take two skis on it. And one day I was at the dealer doing something with, you know, for my first jet ski. And he came up to me and he said, uh, do you want another ski? We got one that just came available. And I kind of sort of did some quick math in my head to try to legitimize how I could afford it. And I just kind of said yes. And now we've got two jet skis parked on the ramps out back. And we can, you know, go over what my Coast Guard buddies say, uh, uh, boots to up or boots to wheels up. I mean, if they're just sitting around, you know, in their flight suits with no boots on, they've got to put their boots on, tie them, and get airborne in three minutes. And we can, you know, we need to, and I've actually towed my neighbors home three times. So we can, we can be airborne and pretty quick. <laughs> Push them off the ramp and off we go. If necessary. Go. <clears throat> right on. Um, that actually uh, kind of brings up a, an angle of things that I wanted to touch on. Maybe uh, lastly, I don't know. We'll see if Sam has anything else before we get to the promotional part of the podcast. But uh, being a gay father, I mean, you have kind of touched on this in a, a different, or a couple different ways as far as uh, things that you have had to deal with, uh, unfairness that you've had to live through. But, you know, and aside from the things that you've mentioned, is there anything about being a gay father that you consider uh, noteworthy or unique, something that a regular father like me or Sam you know, wouldn't necessarily uh, experience or, or really, uh, you know, get a sense of being being of, of a different uh, sexual orientation. I was just talking about the the internet guy was here to, to repair our some of our equipment earlier today. And we were talking about that. And he mentioned the, the movie, I think it was The Graduate, where whoever it was um, painted blackface. It was a white actor playing a white character who was going to a black school or, or was getting, you know, a, 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 like United Negro college fund or some sort of um, a stipend or, or uh, uh, financial aid for, you know, being an African-American student. So he was faking it. And he gets busted by one of his professors played before by I think James Earl Jones. And towards the end of the movie, he said, you know, what did you learn from the black experience? And essentially he said, nothing, because I get to take this off. And similarly, it follows you know, I I, I don't know how this guy learned what he learned or or thinks he knows but i got into a confrontation in the middle of the street with a neighbor who is apparently from a local motorcycle gang and their public behavior is supposed to be very polite because they need to keep the motorcycle stuff you know on the down low and not draw unnecessary attention after he almost ran me off the road and cut me off he, you know, we have words with each other. And before he gets back in his truck and starts to drive off, he called me a child molester. And I'm thinking, 
where'd that come from? Besides some of the projection that's going on in society today and possibly a guilty conscience, I know it's one of two things. Either he knows about my neighbor who lived across the street, who was a registered sex offender, or he knows that I'm gay and he's being presumptuous based on, you know, anti-drag show and, and other things in politics and society that we won't get into. But I'm like, other than that, where did that come from? While you're standing here in the middle of the street, violating an oath that you gave to people more important to you than your family. So as much as I think, you know, just by having neighbors who love me for who I am and family who's accepted me long ago, as much as I think that, you know, I can just quietly just be me, I'm not flamboyant. It wasn't until that incident and recently that I've started flying a pride flag outside along with an American flag. I, there's so many more gays. I was just on a friend's podcast. Uh, we, we recorded it back in July. It aired uh, Friday, the 4th of August. A week later, there was another student from her same school. She was my English teacher in junior high. Her, her guest the following week was also gay. And, you know, out, talked about his husband. And it's the same thing. It's like, I would have never known just by looking at him. So there goes all the stereotypes that you think with like, or see in the media through like drag shows. And we all like to go to drag shows and dress in drag and be, you know, parade down the street in our underwear. And we're going to indoctrinate your kids. And no, it's nothing like that. Uh, in fact, I've seen more wrestling coaches and I went to Penn state and I knew Jerry Sandusky, um, much more just like we are much more part of a mainstream that just wants to live our lives. So are the actual problems in society. And that's the hard part as a parent of, you know, my kid doesn't want to go to the movies because he doesn't want to get shot. That's why you don't, why is that even a thing? It shouldn't be. Well, should I don't want movies because you know, I wanted to wait for it to come out on VHS. And it'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> Especially if it's and on I VHS. Want, yeah, mom, exactly. <laughs> and I wouldn't have to. We actually did a an episode before Sam came on and about whether we were going to homeschool or send our kids to public school. And it all really revolved around school shootings and, you know, and how we were going to adapt and, and, and deal with that. And for the most part, I'm sitting still on homeschooling. And I, I believe that Dan, I believe that Dan's kind of wavering, but he was uh, thinking more homeschool before to, to hear you say that you were able to su successfully do that for nearly an 18 year old that uh, kind of is encouraging 
because you would think that it would be significantly harder as they got older like that and, and less interested in even finishing school at all, uh, you know, let alone doing he, well in it. He was interested in finishing school. I think he was, for the most part, interested in the topics. Uh, I think he understood that my curriculum was much more life beneficial. Like, um, I, I can take you through because I got to do his transcripts so he can get to college in the first place. I can take you through last fall, his math class, in addition to the the gym classes we talked about, you know, like the the jet ski, the water safety, and the um, uh, the gym. His math class was Introduction to Day Trading. His economics class was, um, I forget the actual title of it, but but personal finance for high school seniors taught by Dave Ramsey of CNBC and Fox Business. He's a pretty popular economist that uh, has been bankrupt himself, and he teaches people how to not have that happen in their life. And yeah, how to part of him, he's got to be big quickly. Um then in the in the spring, his English class was um, uh, effective use of social media, you know, something you're going to need for a business. And his social studies class was current events, taught by somebody who lived them. Yeah, right. I was, I was the on call agent for the Philadelphia field office on September 11th. That was my first day as a duty agent in my career. Was September 11th. Um, what's going to happen today yeah mm -hmm. and uh you know so I, I taught him all that stuff i taught him about terrorism i taught him about shootings um we didn't do what i wanted like i wanted to do kind of like a field trip he didn't he's becoming better with making new friends because he's into roller skating this summer and also uh, he's doing a little better with staying in contact with some of his buddies from his previous schools. Unfortunately, we're not as geographically close to where he used to be, which is another reason why he's being homeschooled was because I was not driving him more than an hour one way, you know, um, essentially four trips per day, two down and two back, you know, to get him from school every day. So um, he's getting better acquainted with some of his former schoolmates. I wanted to have them all together and take them for paintball. That would have been cool. Sounds and like show them how to survive a shooting. Mm -hmm. Wow. And how right to on, fully and uh, uh, how to move, you know, how to shoot, um, you know, with what they call markers. They don't call them guns and paintball. That day is a little less on practicing accuracy because sometimes the balls actually spin uh, and, and it's like a curveball. But, um, you know, at least they know how to take, they'll, they'll learn how to take cover and learn the difference between cover and concealment. There's a big difference. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, learn how to just expose enough of your body from behind cover to shoot as opposed to jumping out and, you know, getting yourself shot. Do they make uh, paintball guns in a PS90 platform? <laughs> he, that's mostly what he games is some like, um, um, COD used to be one of his big games. And then, you know, he and a girlfriend started playing a bunch of zombie killer games and, you know, stuff like that. He's pretty into, uh, uh, horror movies. So all the zombie stuff is, is up his alley. 
um, we in the Secret Service used what's called simunitions. It's where we have our duty weapon Sig Sauer handgun with a different type of firing mechanism that shoots a cartridge, which is essentially a paintball. And we're wearing football pads to do it because it comes at you at about 400 feet per second. Um, uh, yeah, it stings. Uh, and we have like these uh, hockey masks that are, you know, plexiglass that, you know, we have to wear just like in paintball, but padded gloves and whole nine yards, but it's with a real gun. And you, you learn, you know, the, the responsibility quicker. Um, and you don't want to get hit. You get hit. It hurts. And, you know, yeah. pain is a wonderful teacher. Learning experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it also helps you decide. It was we treated it in the class as a classroom, as a learning opportunity, learning environment. It was treated as real life. Train like you fight. So if we pulled the trigger in a in a reenactment scenario, in in a um, in, in a life scenario, in a situation where we shouldn't have shot somebody, we were actually formally disciplined. Right, because you can't take that back. You make that mistake in real life. That in range is not going to stand up. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, it was it was real life as as it could get. But then, in the situations where it was justifiable, you know what it's like to put a gun at somebody and shoot them. At least on as much of a level as you can learn without the real thing. Mm-hmm. And so for the opportunity to have taken him um, to a paintball would have been really exciting because as a parent, you know, I do, we both have iPhones and we both share each other's location on the iPhone. I've got tags in his car that in case something happens to the iPhone, I'm still going to know. And I, I said, it's not that I don't trust you. If I have to come rescue your ass, I want to know where it's at. That's the most important part of it is knowing where he is. Yeah. It, it's not like, you know, oh, why are you out so late? I'm like, you know, life made you a man much sooner than your 18th birthday. And because you still act like it, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But like uh, you said you don't want to go to a movie theater because you're worried about being shot. That's so terrible. I'm going to shoot that. back. And it's, it's, it's sad that he should, he should be worried about that too. But real quickly, before I transition into, into your uh, promotional uh, part of the podcast, uh, you fall right in line with uh, the guy from Taken, you know, the movie Taken, uh, you know, <laughs> with what you just said. So I don't really, I don't really want to get too, you know, far into it, but, do you know, or did you know guys that kind of fit that mold? Like, was that, that unbelievable to you or were you like, I oh, know yeah. guys that could do that. Yeah. Um, there was a story that was made public about one of our agents that, um, there was some misunderstanding and, and, and he was initially not treated well, but it was, I think in Jackson, Wyoming, And he was in a confrontation with the local police where he was tased. And the famous line from him was, don't tase me, bro. I remember that. 
I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, I remember that video. I know that guy. Wow. Um, He was a good friend of mine on the Clinton detail with us. Uh, In fact, he was on one of our SWAT teams at the time of that. And his punishment, even though they also admitted he did nothing wrong, was he was kicked off the SWAT team. And he was sent to finish his protection time on the Clinton detail with us. Good dude. Badass guy. Um, But quiet. Just laughs with everybody else and minds his own business. He's not one of the guys like some of the guys we have who are openly practicing different martial arts type stuff, screwing it up, but doing it in a public forum where everybody can see how cool they are, not realizing, not smart enough to realize what an ass he's making out of himself or themselves. Um, the uh, I've often said the ones who have done things don't talk about it. It wasn't until after my dad's dad passed away that we learned that he landed at Normandy, survived Normandy, which if you know anything about history now, Normandy wasn't even the real invasion. If you can call something like that, not real. Survived Normandy and was told to follow this route east off the beach. And you'll know what to do when you get there. That's how he became a camp liberator. Because he knew what to do when he got there. Oh, it was obvious. If like, um, uh, what was the movie? Maybe was it Band of Brothers? Or one of the one of the very well done movies or miniseries uh, where they liberate a camp and they've got human extras real people that are skinny like not healthy skinny where they found these people i have no idea because that's what it would end the amazement on the actors faces was just like it was on my grandfather's like how can people live like this what is what and that's how they learned the hard way what a concentration camp was by seeing it firsthand talk about ptsd it it was to a point where they didn't in some cases they had to shoot some of the people because they were so glad to see them that they were too aggressive towards the liberating america uh allied forces the biggest threat to and I won't go far into religion, I just need to mention somebody, the biggest threat to the Holy Father, the the um, the Pope, are Catholics. Because when he comes to your country, oh yeah, they swarm local, him. Local Catholics want to come see him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the people's zeal or the, you know, the fanaticism comes out, the excitement, the, you know, the lack of... Um, it's not that they want to hurt him. Mm-mm. But when millions of Catholics come from all over, because this is the closest part of the world he's going to get to in my lifetime, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what. I, and it was the same thing at the the camp for my grandfather was that his biggest threat wasn't the Nazis; they were gone. It was you know thousands of Jews, you know, slammed into 
garages as living quarters who were grateful beyond belief that my grandfather and his men were there. Wow. And, and that's, yeah, we never, I never, he, he was a barber. Gave me the summer buzz every year. Never knew that, you know, the guy standing there in the same black pants and white shirt uniform was the badass that he was. And that's kind of the better agents that I've worked with, male and female. That uh, there's another movie called Breach, which is about uh, an FBI special agent named Robert Hansen, who was one of the worst security breaches in our history. And the guy that busted him has a conversation with his dad. And he wants to leave the FBI because this is he's undercover in this guy's office and he wants out. And the guy's dad was a Vietnam vet. And he talks about how his dad sent him to Vietnam. Not a big, you know, I love you, son. Big hug. Just get on the boat. Do your job and come home. And sometimes that's all the message you get or can give. And it can get lonely. But you know, we know we've got a job to do, whether it's, you know, military or federal or local law enforcement. You know, it's not for everybody. So when you have the opportunity later in life to become a dad and to keep that kid out of the criminal justice system and get him out of the foster care system, I'm happy to take advantage of that. Because now I get to be a dad like mine was, Mm -hmm. and he gets to have a dad like I did. That he would pass off that knowledge, the traditions, the memories, form new memories. He was in foster care since he was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And his life before that was obviously not quality or he never would have been in foster care. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, he refers to me as dad, like and when he's pissed at me, he refers to me as dad. When he's frustrated, he, you know, he refers to me as dad. That's when you know you've crossed good. that barrier. There you go. I bet that and, still go, feels pretty good. And for someone who's, like I said, he, he's, he's six, four, 200 plus pounds, very straight knows I'm gay, is okay with that, and still has no problem saying, I love you, Dad. You know, good night and, and whatever else. You know, that's a huge hurdle, and it, it, it is a great feeling that uh, I can have that positive effect on his life. Yeah, that, that, is, that is really uplifting. I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to overcome any kind of bar- barrier like that, any kind of obstacle and really connect like you have in such a short period of time too. Like that's, that's really the most remarkable thing to me is that you were able to build a lasting relationship with him in just, you know, a year or two, something like that. Um, it's like, he must've been starving for love. Like it's sad. The, the group home he was in was not ideal. I don't think, um, I think they kind of go through the motions there. And yeah, that's another episode (laughs) more about uh, one of those undercover reporters and not necessarily about us being dads. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, he was about to age out of the system. And so he would have been in a house similar to what he's in now with me, but with a lot more autonomy, a lot more responsibility, a lot less somebody looking over his shoulder. And I don't mean necessarily he would see it as looking over his shoulder, like, you know, um, disciplining and, and whatever. But I see it as looking over his shoulder as, you know, helping him out and being there to help him out. You know, he, we just got a car for him this summer. And on one of his, one of his first trips out on the highway, it started pouring down rain. He uses his wipers and one of the wipers goes flying off the car. Of course, that one that was in front of him. He goes to pull over. The other one goes flying off the car. He's got no wipers in a summer downpour. And so, you know, he had the first guy he called was me. Um, And I coached him through getting him off the road, making sure that, you know, crawl over, you know, put the car in park, crawl over, look out the window and see that your car is off the road, that you're not going to sideswipe and hit. Because he was actually in the middle, the center median. He wasn't on the side. Mm. He was off the, the, the fast lane. So it was just, I, I pulled up you know, a map. You know, I pulled up where he was and I pulled up the radar to give him an estimate on, you know, when there was going to be an opening that it was going to stop that or at least slow down that he could get to a more safe location than where he was. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely his dad. He comes to me for everything. Um, He doesn't talk to me as much anymore. And I think that's kind of how I know that, you know, I'm dad and I'm not the guy that comes to get him every weekend. He doesn't feel like he can share as much, maybe. Well, he's he, like, stop, dad, you're embarrassing me. I'm about to be a grown man. I can do this oh, on my own. Or, yeah, I'm leaving I, the I next. promise you, when we first, last summer, we talked about everything. Some dads might, and for them might be rightfully so, it might have gone too intense of a conversation if like 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 you said sam i can't ask him about those same topics anymore because i know he doesn't want to share that with me right he would offer it a year ago and that's kind of how i know that i'm dad because you don't talk to your dad about that stuff that's not cool very yeah. bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least I know that means I'm accepted in, in, a, in, in a the role that dad way we yeah. were shooting for. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, that seems a good part to uh, move along to our well at this point, kind of our our mix of ending and promotion, and that is where you tell us about what you have going on. You know, tell us about the up the middle podcast. Tell us about the doggy traders tell us about whatever that you want to uh, get across to our listeners that we haven't covered yet. Sure. So as I realized I was going to start wrapping up my career in the secret service, I wanted to figure out something that could supplement my retirement financially. 
And so I began teaching myself day trading and investing in cryptos, cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. And I had such a good first year that I wanted to share that, what I learned and what I was continuing to learn with other would-be day traders and investors. And so that's how or why the Doggy Traders brand was created. It's a YouTube channel. It is also a podcast, but only on through YouTube. So basically, if you listen to YouTube music, you can hear the Doggy Traders because when I film it, I have that um, playlist created as also doubling as a podcast. We've been off this summer because another one has sprung up. Having been a historian and political scientist by education, I'm not lecturing at all, but that's my degree. And having used that degree in the Secret Service, I just got so frustrated with certain members of the media who are outright lying, are incredibly biased. And I'm okay with somebody being a conservative. I'm okay with somebody being a liberal. I'm not okay with those views being pushed on other people who either don't necessarily want it or would have been open to other viewpoints if these were not forced on them. And that's both right and left. So I created another YouTube channel, which much more quickly morphed into a distributed podcast, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the audio versions, uh, audio-only versions of them, and now has uh, also branched out into internet radio. Um, I'm starting a, at least one, maybe as many as three internet radio uh, stations for my political-oriented podcast called Up the Middle. Up the Middle is a baseball term for me personally, because when you take a pitch and drive it right back at the pitcher and then over second base and for a base hit into the outfield, that space in the field is called the middle, up the middle, is where you took that uh, hard line drive or ground ball, whatever. So carrying that over from my baseball years into the political spectrum, I am, in some cases, and on some topics, very conservative. That doesn't mean either of you have to be. It just means that's where I'm at. I'm also, on other topics, very liberal. And I feel, and I'm, I'm finding out um, through experience that I'm right, that a large percentage of the voting population is the same way. For example, 37% of Republicans are for abortion and for what we'll call the woman's right to choose. That's not the Republican Party. But 37% of them are okay with it. There are left people that are pro-life. And so I analyze different topics from not just within government, but also life. Now, I've interviewed guys, you know, like you're interviewing me, uh, who have done some incredible things with their life. And I use that to say, here's what's also going on in the world. Here's something we could be doing to better affect society and our community. 
one was a professional BMX racer. Another was a fellow Secret Service agent who just wrote a book about his life being gay. So it wasn't even really about the Secret Service, but we can all relate to so many different parts of this man's book, whether you're gay or not. And so I share that with people. Within the first week of its existence, I was approached by the Boston Globe saying that they are expanding their newspaper reach into podcasting. And they're essentially creating a studio to help produce podcasts. And while so many podcasts may sell advertising for businesses that they you know, endorse and or support, they also, another big revenue generator is subscription-based. And that's the direction they want to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing as much as I can to develop my brand for the show up the middle so that if they come back to me in 2024, like they're scheduled to, and say, yes, yours is one that we want to go with, I'm already in an established brand with a following, with um, a purpose that meets what they're looking for. And they agree for as left as you might think the Boston Globe is in any other newspaper, they agree that there is a conservative audience that not that is not being serviced by the conservative media and that a largest majority of voters really are neither Republican or Democrat. They identify as some type of independent. Uh, in fact, to a point where now uh, the Gen Z voting is mostly independent. They're registered. They're just not affiliated with a party. And so that's that's where um, Up the Middle is also uh, on YouTube but is also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, any, if you're a podcaster uh, or a podcast audience member, the best place is at yergs.com. You can find it all. In fact, you can watch the podcast there. You don't even have to go to a podcast directory. Uh, We'll also have a live feed from the radio station or stations on the website. Um, So, you know, obviously, I like this show here, so invitation to you guys to either take your past episodes and use let us use it to fill space and you know better serve your audience and or if you wanted to do live on air personality, you know we would be able to talk about that as well well i mean we're I, I think I can speak for Sam when I say we're definitely interested in growing the podcast in any way that we can, and <clears throat> what you're you know sharing and offering is definitely. A good way to do that we you know we we are really just focused on being a resource for dads and we want to reach as many as we can to you know share our uh more our guests wisdom than our own you know because we are growing and learning as well as, as our listeners and we just feel like better dads make better children and better children make a better world exactly so, you know that is definitely something that i'm uh definitely interested in talking about off camera, so to speak. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, that's uh, Y-E-R-G-Z.com, Yergs.com is where Correct. you can find yes, that. Yes, thank you. But this definitely went, you know, quite a bit uh, more, uh, I guess, business-like, I guess, than I expected. Um, my vocabulary failed me there, but I did not never, I did not expect to be talking to you and then to be, 
you know, considering a business opportunity at a later date. So that was really cool. I'm glad that we got to, uh, to meet and talk like this. And you've just been amazing. Like we went significantly longer than I planned, significantly longer than I thought we would. But you are fascinating. Like, the, you know, I, it's obvious why you have a podcast because it's your stories are, you know, it's just like, like, I'm like, you know, with my mouth open. And then I look at my watch. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. Like we, you know, it's almost 10 o'clock or whatever the case may be. Well, go so, ahead. I mean, we talked when we planned this. I remember that uh, I had to keep it closer to an hour because I was anticipating another call sooner immediately after this one. And that actually is not coming to fruition until possibly tomorrow or maybe not even until next week. So if you guys got both or you want to do some editing later and, and immediately create a part two or whatever, I can. Uh, I think this watch actually. Oh, no, there we go. Um, I've got plenty of time yet. Uh, I don't hear the kid up. He, he fell asleep before I finished dinner. So his dinner's in the refrigerator. Um, but if you want to continue, if you got some of the other questions that you had to skip, you know, feel free to go back and, uh, we can hit them if you want to. Ah, man, I wish I I could, but my, I've seen my phone light up and that can only mean that my wife is asking, are we done yet? And when we're going to finish, I think that I'm going to have to uh, call it a day there. You got a wife to check in with. You know, for everybody else, I do appreciate you guys hanging around listening. And uh, if, if things got kind of um, jumpy there at the end, then it's probably because I edited out some stuff that you really didn't care about. But <laughs> all that aside, thank you so much for joining us, Yargs. You've been awesome. You've My been pleasure. Thank you. You've shared, thank you, so you know, much. way more than I thought you would and, and way more than I could have hoped. So we appreciate that. Um, Sam, thanks always for joining me and um, making things, you know, that much easier for me. And I guess for all our listeners, that's going to do it for here, us here, your two dads. And uh, come on back next week or next Friday or hell, I don't, I don't know when we're dropping another episode soon. Follow the socials, follow everything that we do, and you'll know Beautiful. for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, follow, subscribe. Yeah, like, follow, and hit the uh, notification bell. I, I'm told that's important now. Who would have known? Um, but anyways, uh, I guess that's going to do it. And thank you guys again. Um, for you, your dads, you know, this is Corey. We will check you later. Check you later. Thanks, guys. I want you to know it's over. Well. Bye. You smell that, Bill? Smells like someone died. You need that bad guy.